following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. That's when I heard him whisper All of Jesus, none of me All of Jesus All of Jesus All of Jesus None of me All of Jesus All of Jesus All of Jesus None of me Oh, the glorious liberation And endless celebration When I found Him In wondrous jubilee Should you ask, I'll gladly tell you Of the key to our salvation All of Jesus, none of me All of Jesus, all of Jesus, all of Jesus, none of me. justified, are all past sins are forgiven. When we are justified, all past sins are forgiven. And we are made righteous before God. It is by faith. It is a free gift. 
It is an awesome gift. But when we are saved, when we are justified, we are not also sanctified. Sanctification takes time. Now, that doesn't mean that we're walking in any known sin. When we are justified, we leave all known rebellion and sin. We are transformed. We are made into a new creature in Christ Jesus. But we are not yet sanctified. Sanctified means to utterly submit and to be made holy for God. Sanctification leads into holiness. I've been sharing with you this week out of James, the fourth chapter. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We wash our hands when we're justified. But purifying our hearts, to have a pure heart, that is to be sanctified. He says, you double-minded, grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That takes time. That takes time. Submitting yourself unto God takes time. Now, we submit ourselves to be saved. But remember that salvation is not a one-time event. It's a process. If someone says to me, I'm saved, I'm always interested in knowing in what manner are they saved because they are still on the earth. And if they're still on the earth, they're still in probation. If they're still on the earth, they've not been totally saved. If a man is swimming in the waves, he's about to be overcome. But there is a a boat there, and he is pulled into the boat. Is he saved? Well, yes and no, because he's still on the rolling ocean and the boat he is on could sink. He could yet drown. What I want you to hear today above everything else is that it takes time to submit to God. It takes time some new Christians that I speak with and recognize don't have any time to wait on God. They don't believe in waiting on God. Some have even expressed to me their scorn for my continued waiting upon the Lord. Just go do it, Ray. You know how to do it. Just go make it happen. No. 
do that. The Lord has told me, wait upon the Lord, and the Lord will carry you through. If you're impatient today with what's happening in your life, I urge you to then submit yourself to God. Resist the devil's temptation to pursue your own path, for your own path will lead you to great sorrow and destruction. Isaiah 50. If you're walking in the dark, you don't know what to do, That darkness is not meaning sin. It means you don't know where you're at and you don't know what you're supposed to do. You feel lost. It says, if you then begin to light your own torches, if you set ablaze your own fire in order to see where you're going and you follow your own desire, even though it be for God, it says you will lie down in torment. So I come today to to caution you to joyfully take the time to wait upon the Lord. What do I mean by wait? I mean stop. No, it doesn't mean stop doing this radio broadcast because the Lord has instructed me to continue doing this broadcast. But it means I don't take one step further in any direction until he opens the way. Oh, I could go today and rent building space for the National Prayer Chapel and begin to do advertising and begin to do recruiting and and build up a different church. Instead, I'm in a house church And the Lord is doing something very different there. The Lord today knows that institutional churches are not going to get the job done. That it requires that someone be willing to pay the price to wait upon the Lord in prayer, in supplication, in humility. Someone to wait upon the Lord to stop the go-go action, to stop all the music, the drums, and the songs. Stop. Wait on the Lord. That's what he's told me to do. It takes time to wait on the Lord. And as you're taking time to wait upon the Lord, great impatience can arise in your heart and say, I'm wasting my time. I have only one life to live, and I'm going to go live it to the fullest. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. I'm going to contribute to the kingdom of God in these ways. I'm on my way. The scripture says you will lie down in torment. I read a piece about Mother Teresa where she confessed that She had no sense in her life of the presence of Jesus. That that was the most painful part of her whole life. The absence of the presence of Jesus. Did she do incredible good in many ways? Yes, in many ways she did. But she did it without the direction and presence 
of our Lord. So it was an NGO. She helped many people. But in the end, the Lord is going to say to her, I don't know you. You never waited on me. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. You cannot resist the devil if you have not and are not waiting upon the Lord. Now, I've been sharing with you the story day by day of Abraham. Abraham, this wonderful man of God, is being brought step by step through the process of learning how to wait upon the Lord. And so we find in Genesis, the 18th chapter, that the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. I wonder what was through his thoughts. I wonder, the Lord had said, I'm going to confirm my covenant with you. He explained to him, the covenant of circumcision, which meant you don't go out and create for yourself. It means you wait upon the Lord. You don't grow impatient with him. Now, he'd been told, you're going to have a son. This is, 17, verse 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed. He said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. If only the works of my flesh could live under your blessing, O God. If only what I raise up in my own strength and my own power, if only that you would bless, Lord. If only this ministry that I have lifted in my own strength. Many pastors have lifted their own churches and created them out of their own cunning and their own ability, their own marketing skill, and say, Oh God, would you bless my church? Some of you have gone out and gotten very fine jobs and you earn a wonderful living. Never waited on God. Instead, you pray, Lord, bless the works of my hands. Gave them the circumcision to say, Do not trust in the work of your hands, but submit to God. Wait upon the Lord. Now, may I share this? 
the hardest part of my journey with Jesus, and I have been on this journey now as a pastor for almost 50 years. The most painful and difficult part of this journey has been waiting upon God. And in the beginning of my ministry, I did not wait. I took every opportunity. I moved into every creative activity. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to make a significant contribution to the kingdom of God. I didn't wait for anybody. If you got in my way, I'd go around you and I'd do it without you. I had goals, I had plans, I had things I wanted to accomplish, good things that I wanted to accomplish. And slowly, the Lord stripped those things away from my life. Literally, he stripped those things away from my life. He isolated me, he shut me down. He said, no, that's not my will for you. And so... I had to stop. He took me out into the desert. He taught me many things in the desert. But the one most important thing he taught me was that if I wait upon him, he will deliver me. God is a deliverer. He is a God of majesty and power. But he doesn't break a humble heart. The hardest thing I've had to do is wait upon the Lord and submit to that waiting and not go create my own powerful ministry. The Lord said, as... As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and give a great increase to his numbers. And it brought great sorrow, even to this day, to Israel. Then he said, verse 21, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And when he'd finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Ishmael was 13 years old. This is the first time God has spoken to Abraham in 13 years. Because he would not wait upon the Lord, he would not submit himself to God. Lord loved Abraham. He was investing all of heaven in teaching Abraham how to wait upon the Lord, how to submit to God, how to give up his own strength and his own power and trust in the name of the Lord. He brought him through some very embarrassing things like when he was kicked out of Egypt. He brought him through step by step in this submission process. Now, it does not need to take a whole life to submit to God, but it might. 
depending on how stubborn of heart you are. Chapter 18 Abraham is sitting at the entrance to his tent. It's in the heat of the day. They're in the shade, shade trees of memory. And Abraham looks up and he sees three men standing close by. It doesn't say how they got there. Suddenly he just sees them. And he hurries from the entrance of his tent to meet them. And he bowed down before these men in the customary practice of that day and said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. And let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. It doesn't say when Abraham began to comprehend that this was actually two angels with the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. They said, very well, do as you say. So Abraham hurries into his wife, Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of fine flour. That's about 20 quarts. That's a lot of flour. He said, knead it, make it into bread. Then he ran out to the herd. He selected a choice tender calf, veal. And he said to his servant, hurry and prepare it. And he brought curds and milk, cheese, butter. Now in that day, they would bake the bread by kneading the bread, flattening it, clearing away on the stone floor or the brick floor where the fire had been. And they would put that thin bread on the on the bricks or on the stone. And then they would put the fire coals back on top of that. And it would cook, it would bake. Now, one of the men, as Abraham is standing close by serving them, says to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? He he answered, There in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, he didn't say next year. He said, literally, I'm going to return to you about this time in the turning of life. In other words, probably more like nine or ten months. And your wife is going to have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind her. Abraham and Sarah were already old, advanced in years. Remember, Abraham was a hundred years old, almost. He was 99. And Sarah begins to laugh. After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I have this pleasure 
Her womb is dried up. She's not having periods anymore. It's impossible for her to have a baby. That's often why we refuse to submit to God. Because it's obviously impossible for anything to happen. We've tried everything we know. We don't know how to change the situation. We don't know how to turn things around. We're at the end of ourselves, and we finally have said, well, this is all there's going to be. There isn't going to be any more. I've had to face that. I've done radio. I've done church. I can't go any further. I could allow my heart to dive into despair. I can't touch this nation and bring God to the forefront. I can't bring revival to Washington. I've tried for years. I've tried. I can't do it. And finally, this last week, I began to absolutely come to terms with the emptiness of my own strength and my own power. And I began to come into a place of of absolute confession and rejoicing that I can't make anything happen. <laughs> I'm past that time. I'm I'm not a young man anymore with great plans and with great networks and financial resources and I'm on my way. Let's raise up a new church. Let's do this. Let's do that. No. I began to just rejoice and shout praise to Jesus. For I'm now at that impossible place where I'm too old to bear children. I said, Jesus, thank you. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for Jesus? No. No. I don't care what your situation is today. If you have come to the end of yourself and you are willing to submit to Jesus all of your hopes and your dreams and your ambitions, if you're willing to submit to Jesus all of your plans and say, Lord, you have your way. It's yours. I'm yours. I'm a check. Spend me any way you choose. I'm blank. You are the one in charge. It's hard for a young person to give up their dreams. It's hard for a young person to give up their ambitions, to be somebody, to make a contribution. Some of us, it took quite a while before we had spent enough years waiting upon the Lord to learn that anything of value will be created by Jesus, not by us. 
Never forget, before my father died, we were talking. This was just a month or so before he died. He said, Ray, go get me a, a glass of water. So I didn't know why he wanted I figured he wanted to drink it, so I went and got Dad a, a glass of water. He put his finger down in the water. He said, now watch, Ray. Pulled his finger up out of the water, and all of the water came back together as though a finger had never been put in it. He said, Ray, when I'm gone, the Lord will pull me up out of the water of this world. And everything I've been doing that is not necessary will be left undone. And everything that I'm doing that is necessary, someone else will step in and do it. But remember, Ray, you're like a finger, glass of water. I thought a lot about that. He's right. The only thing that's going to matter is God's hand in that glass of water. And then it will part. The creation will cease. What I do and what I say, if it is not moved upon by the Holy Spirit, will be of no eternal value. It is only that which is directed by the Holy Spirit that matters for eternity. Now, I've been directed to come and present day after day these messages to you. I am trusting that when I am gone, the messages and the impact on the hearers will still be present and that many will enter into salvation because they were confronted with the truth of the gospel. So, Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? He said, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied, and she said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Yes, you did laugh. It's an easy thing when we don't want to wait upon the Lord to laugh at the word of the Lord. We think our word is what is important, but it's not our word, it's the word of God. Now, let's be plain. Jesus is at the very center of everything that matters. He is the very center of the Christian faith. He is at the very center of all divine revelation that we find in the scriptures. He is at the very center of atonement. He is the giver of all of the benefits of his death on the cross. 
He gave himself in bloodshed and death for you and for me. And we must recognize that Jesus is at the very heart and center of taking the gospel to the world. He is the one who stands at the head of his church, of the truly redeemed men and women, not the apostate church, the redeemed church, the holy church, the righteous church. And it's his plan to take the gospel to every person on this earth. That's Jesus' goal. The Great Commission and holiness cannot be separated. It is not possible to carry out the Great Commission apart from first waiting upon God and submitting to Him, giving up our dreams, our visions, our hopes, our desires. All of that must be given up and we must wait on the presence of the Holy Spirit to be granted unto us. Jesus issued a restraining order to the church in his day, the New Testament church, compelling them to tarry in Jerusalem until they were holy, empowered, by the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Now it's very clear in the life of a man that I have great great respect for and have been guided by John Wesley. He says, quote, In 1729, my brother Charles and I reading the Bible, saw that we could not be saved without holiness. We followed after it. We called others to do so as well. In 1737, almost ten years later, we saw that holiness comes by faith. In 1738, we saw that men are justified before they are sanctified. But still, holiness was our object, inward and outward holiness. God then thrust us out to raise up a holy people. See, of what value is it if I thrust myself out as a pastor? and I don't raise up holy people. I've stood before congregations of three and 4,000 people and preached the gospel to them, and when I was finished, everyone went to lunch. No prayer, no repentance, no confession. I had been honored to speak to such large crowds but I was not baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so it was just another interesting service with 
interesting insights and understandings and intellectual understandings. But revival didn't come. Jesus commanded that the church wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit before they began engaging in the impossible task of carrying out the Great Commission in their carnal, fleshly state. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from this. The Savior had resisted the sin from which he seeks to save the lost of the earth by the shedding of his own blood. He will not, therefore, jeopardize the mission by an attempt to lead a company of carnal believers to the rescue. This is a mission of unparalleled requirement. Thus there is a decree from the only head of the church, wait for the promise of the Father. To this decree, the church must bow. For in this crusade, in behalf of the lost, the Savior will only lead the sinless and spotless and the holy who have gone by way of the upper room. The utterly profound nature of his mission makes it impossible for sinners to accomplish. The fall of man that plummeted him into the depths of sin that separated Adam and Eve from God forever except for a Savior, but the Savior came. The spotless Lamb came. The holy sacrifice came. The sinless and human Christ came. Christ and his church are united in spiritual life and ministry as head and body necessitating a holy people in gospel work. The belief system of the church and its holiness of life are of crucial importance to the ability to minister to the world in the name of Jesus. The divine requirement that believers must be filled by the Holy Spirit is the consensus of the entire New Testament. But we have not wanted to wait upon the Lord. We have been full of our own plans, our own ideas, our own strategies, our own successes. story is told of James, the half-brother of Jesus. When he was, when he was killed, when he was murdered, and they saw his knees, they said they looked like. I forget the exact word. 
the knees of a camel, I think. It was obvious that he had spent much, much time on his knees. More time on his knees than doing anything else. The crowd that murdered him before he took his last breath. They'd stoned him. He was dying. They tell us in history that James prayed that simple prayer. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the whole crowd was utterly stricken with guilt. And they shouted, He's praying for us! He's praying for us! As he lay dying, James the Just. He had learned how to submit to God. He had learned how to wait upon the Lord. He had learned to pray. I'm very concerned today about you. Have you learned yet to wait upon the Lord? Or are you busy running around doing all that you think you need to do, rushing here and there, exhausting yourself, hoping that you can accomplish those tasks that you think are so very, very important. If you draw your finger out of the glass of water, what will happen? Will the things you're engaged in continue to take place because they are of such importance and value to Jesus? Or will the water just fill it all in and your work will count for nothing? Is holiness and is the baptism of the Holy Spirit your object, inward and outward holiness? Is this the cry of your heart? It takes time to submit to God. It takes weeping before Him over the pride and the arrogance of your heart as you push forward to accomplish what you desire to accomplish. Many believers from the New Testament to the present time had this experience of holiness and of Holy Spirit. In the very beginning, God created man in his image. We learn from Ephesians 4.24 and Colossians 3.9-10 that the image of God is true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. In the fall, man lost the image of God through the sin of disobedience, sinking down into sin as a nature, a hereditary disposition. It was just the opposite of his former condition before God. Thus, Adam's children were born in his fallen image. Death and separation from God passed upon all men with the consequences of being cut off Spiritual death was immediate. Physical death was imminent. So sin is a part of the human experience as nature, 
as the very indwelling heart of man and his actions. Sins as acts are manifestations of the work of the, of the flesh, of the sinful man. And sin as an inward quality is that inner propensity to sin, to engage in sinful actions. So the outside has to be transformed and the inside has to be purged and cleansed. So we're speaking about man's sin now being in a twofold nature. It is sins or acts or manifestations or what one does. That's sin. We all recognize that. But we also recognize that in the innermost part of our soul, in our spirit, there is hatred toward God. And if you have not yet come to terms with the hatred of your heart toward God, and some of you I can hear you say, oh no, I love God. No, there's a deep hatred in the heart of every man toward God. And until that's broken through waiting upon God in submission and finally the baptism of the Holy Spirit making us holy, that hatred remains. And it is the governing disposition of the man's heart. I don't believe that that sin as an act or sin as a nature can stand up before the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus that was shed upon Calvary's cross prevails in behalf of every fallen man or woman, making us into new creatures, washing us, healing us, restoring us to our first place before Adam fell. Nature is cleansed. The sin is removed. There is in Jesus Christ absolute perfection. There is in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ the power to remove all sin from your heart. The blood of Jesus also has the power to keep us clean, to cleanse us, to restore us. Now it's very interesting. We speak about Jesus cleansing the leper. It means the disease is gone. The disease is no more on his body or in his body. Same words are used regarding sin. And for the believer it means that his sin is gone. Every conceivable sin is gone. It is no more. No, the cleansing of the leper was not merely positional. It wasn't, you're cleansed of your leprosy, but you're still a leper. You're cleansed of your leprosy, but you can't go home. 
No, he was cleansed of his leprosy. He was healed. Jesus has done the same thing with sin. He's cleansed us. He's made us whole. Peter was saved as he was sinking in the waves when he tried to walk on the water. What if Jesus had said to him, You are positionally saved, but go ahead and drown and I'll resurrect you on the great day. No, he didn't say that. He took Peter by the hand, he lifted him up, and he put him in the boat where he was safe. He was saved. Anyone who teaches you that salvation is positional does not know what the word of God teaches, and he's a heretic and a rebel and a heretic for sure. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I ask you, please, pray about waiting upon the Lord and what that would look like. What is God calling you to do? What is the word of God being spoken to your heart? I hope today that you recognize that waiting upon God will take time. And it will require great patience because God wants to know if you're really waiting on him or if you're just impatient. And when God doesn't show up on your time schedule, you're going to jump out and do it yourself. Like the man who said to me, Pastor, I'm losing my house. I'm going to be foreclosed on. If God does not rescue me by this date, I'm leaving the ministry. I'm finished. I said, please don't do that. Put your trust in Jesus and wait upon him. No matter what happens, wait upon him. Don't resign from your church. Stay right there. He said, no, pastor, I can't do that. I can't wait on God. It's up to him to do this and do it by this date. The date came and God had not answered his prayer. So he bailed out. Loaded his U-Haul truck, left the keys in the house, walked away from it, took his family, got a call a short term time later, and he was actually in Colorado, sitting at a fast food restaurant, had a flat tire and had no money, slept in the truck, didn't know what to do. I called Focus on the family and they sent someone down to rescue him. Put him up in a hotel and then they gave him a job at Focus on the family. But he was out of ministry. He's still out. He'll never go back into ministry. He would not wait upon the Lord. His anger rose. His impatience rose. Please, my brother, my sister, take the time Whatever the expense, take the time. Wait upon the Lord. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. 
We've been having some difficulty with PayPal, but I think today it is fixed. I pray it is. Would you consider giving? Many of you have in the past on PayPal. Would you do that again? Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. Click on the donate button. If it does not work, would you please send me a text? 703-489-1785. And let me know that it didn't work for you. I think today it will work. I'd also love to hear from you. It's the last week of the month, and we have a large radio bill that we've got to cover, almost $4,000. Will you help cover that? Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I'd love to have you come to the National Prayer Chapel. Let me give you the phone number. Call and I'll give you directions. 703-489-1785 God bless you, my brother, my sister. Take the time. Wait upon the Lord. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory With great joy With Oh